Hello, and welcome to Childless Not By Choice. This podcast was created for and about the Childless Not By Choice community on a global level. Before we get started, I would like to thank my sponsors and supporters. Thank you, Morgan Air Conditioning, Sales, Service, and Installation, serving Tampa, Florida, and the surrounding areas. Morgan Air Conditioning can be reached by calling 813-500-7765. That's 813-500-7765. Or their web address is www.morganair.net. That's www.morganair.net. Along with a stellar business reputation in the Tampa, Florida area, Morgan Air Conditioning is also known and well-received for giving back to the community, whether it is back-to-school drives or donating services to the less fortunate. Thank you, Morgan Air Conditioning, for recognizing the vision of Childless Not By Choice and being a part of it. Next, I would like to thank Alba Digital Media for creating my website, www.childlessnotbychoice.net, that's www.childlessnotbychoice.net and for producing this podcast. Alba Digital Media's clients include those who need website building and maintenance, as well as those like myself who require professional podcast editing. Their client base reflects many industries and levels of needs for professional assistance. To contact Alba Digital Media for your web building and podcast production needs, visit www.albadigitalmedia.com. That's www.albadigitalmedia.com. Thank you, Alba Digital Media, for making me look good and sound good. Finally, I would like to thank Devoted, the musical duo who created my theme music. Thank you, Devoted, for your beautiful music. Devoted has had the opportunity to sing and play in many countries. To contact Devoted for your music needs, visit devotedministries at gmail.com. That's devotedministries at gmail.com. And if you would like to become a one-time or ongoing sponsor, or if you would like to become a patron of Childless Not By Choice, please contact me at sevilla at sevillamorgan.com. That's Sevilla at SevillaMorgan.com for details. Now, on to the show. Well, hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Childless Not By Choice, where my mission is to recognize and speak to the broken hearts of childless not by choice women and men around the world. Savella Morgan here. I'm, I'm spreading the great news that we can live a joyful, relevant, and fulfilled life, although we could not, did not have the children we so wanted. Before we continue on here, I'd like to thank my Patreon contributor. Patreon contributors are those who have taken an interest in my platform, whether they fit the childless not by choice demographic or not. They have decided to contribute a certain dollar amount on a regular basis to help fund my dream of creating awareness and conversation for the Childless Not By Choice community globally. Click the Patreon link in the show notes for details and to become a patron. And I'd like to thank Jordan Morgan for his monthly patronage. Thank you, Mr. Jordan Morgan. Your monthly contributions are just greatly used and appreciated in the community. Thank you so much. Just a reminder, everybody, uh, visit the website where you can join the community group. Check out all the podcast episodes, the blogs, the resources. Just go to www.childlessnotbychoice.net. The website is where the conversation is happening. Well, we have a special guest today. Um... I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest, and then we will get started in conversation here. Jody Day, founder of Gateway Women, is author of the best-selling book, Living the Life Unexpected, 12 Weeks to Your Plan B for a Meaningful and Fulfilled Future, or Fulfilling Future Without Children. And um, she is also the best-selling author, and if 
she'll correct me if I'm wrong in just a second, but she's also the author of Rocking the Life Unexpected. But I think um, she just basically um, updated the book to what is now called Living the Life Unexpected. Either way, it's an awesome book, and I would just really suggest that you pick up the copy, whether you're childless, not by choice or not. I think it's an awesome book for everybody to read to to get a better handle on what it's like to live the life of a childless, not by choice woman anywhere in the world, by the way. Her TEDx talk, The Lost Tribe of Childless Women, was given at TEDx Hull in March 2017 and has had more than 27,000 views. Jody was honored in BBC's 100 Women in 2013. And she is a trainee psychotherapist and a former fellow in social innovation at Cambridge Judge Business School, Cambridge University. She runs workshops, online courses, a global online community, and global social events for women coming to terms with a life that does not include motherhood. And uh, she's currently training other women to lead her workshops in the UK, Ireland, Europe, the USA, and Canada. She plans to expand um, those trainings to uh, train women in Australia and New Zealand in the near future. Gateway Woman has an aggregated social reach of over 2 million between the website, various social media platforms, and its global public and private communities. Jody says that she was partnered and or married for 16 years in her 20s and 30s, during which she experienced unexplained infertility after an abortion in her very early 20s. She was single for many years before finally meeting her Mr. Right, and they divide their time between Ireland and Ibiza. I never know if I'm saying Ibiza right, but I think I am. Anyway, welcome to the show, Jody. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, welcome. Thank you so much for that lovely welcome, Sevilla. And you were absolutely right about my book. It's uh, uh, Living the Life Unexpected is the reissue and update of my original self-published Rocking the Life Unexpected. Awesome. Awesome. Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you for, the, um, for clarifying that. And um, I'm going to start out by going way back. Well, if 2012 is way back. Um, I read your article, um, I May Not Be a Mother, But I'm Still a Person, written mm-hmm. in the Guardian newspaper back in February of 2012. Mm-hmm. And as I read the article, I could feel my heart breaking for the way you were treated at that party. <laughs> I don't oh, know if gosh. you remember that. <laughs> I, I will never forget that part, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I was, say, I was thinking, you know, I know the article was written so long ago, and mm. it is not healthy to dwell on things. But yeah. I just wonder what comes to mind when or if you think back, and you say you do remember, but what comes to yes. mind when you think back to those times and events? I think uh, I look back with great sadness um, for... Mm how hard it was to be me during that time and mm. how hard it was to be understood, you know, by, by my friends, by my family, by complete strangers. And also, you know, that article when it was published um, kind of lost me a few friends as well. Oh, wow. So it was interesting that in sort of really, you know, I didn't criticize anyone in that article but it was interesting how in writing about how misunderstood I felt um, some people, instead of seeing that as an opportunity for empathy, um, actually kind of, you know, cut me out of their life. So it, it was really interesting how difficult it is to be honest about some of the impacts of childlessness. And it's one of the reasons why many of us say nothing and suffer in mm. silence. So true. And um, I think uh, it seems to me that the people who left their relationship with you, I Mm. I think they did it out of fear. They didn't want to face what they were feeling or face how you were feeling. So, yeah, that's pretty sad. And um, but dare I say, yeah, there's a great uh, expression, which I I do believe is um, American, which says sometimes you have to weed your friendship garden. Oh, yes. And um, and certainly that period of my my childless grieving was was very marked by massive shifts in my relationships mm. and my friendships, and 
And although that was incredibly hard, and those were that sort of two year period where that was happening was kind of probably the loneliest of my adult life. Um, because I also stopped putting a lot of effort into relationships where I had been the one kind of doing the CPR for a long time. <laughs> oh, I wow. stopped. I, I stopped. I thought, I wonder what would happen if I stopped making all this effort. And I'm sure you and many of your listeners will know that quite often that what happens is that nothing happens. We just kind of drift off the radar. But, you know, during that time, um, you know, that space that opened up in my life that, that, that was full of grief and loneliness, it was also really when I was coming to terms with my situation, accepting that the old life that I'd imagined was never going to be. It was a massive grieving process, not just for for children, but mm-hmm. for the life I was going to have, the person I was going to be, the people I thought who would be around me in that life. And mm-hmm. a few friends, you know, absolutely came through for me during that time. Um, and some of them, you know, were and are parents. It, it, so it's not necessarily that I could only be understood by childless women. But I think we live in very grief phobic societies, you know, both the UK and the US. And I Mm -hmm. think you're right. I think my grief and my willingness to be open about my pain was not something very, very many people were comfortable with. Right. And so they, the way they reacted was just to leave and we don't just to kind of ghost to ghost, I think is now the, the, uh, the, you know, the expression from the dating world, you know, Mm -hmm. just to kind of let things slide. I mean, it wasn't, you know, there were a couple of uncomfortable conversations, but mostly it was just a kind of deafening silence. Mm. Wow. Well, that's the same as leaving to me. And yep. and that, um, I think what we say here is, you know, I'm reading a book right now by a very prolific pastor here in the U.S. And um, the title of his book is called Let It Go. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes we just have to let people go. <laughs> You know, yeah. we, we do try to hang on because who wants to be lonely? You know, nobody wants to be lonely. Most people don't yeah. uh, unless they just want to be a hermit. And hey, I guess, you know, whatever floats your boat. But most of us want to have relationships. And I remember seeing that in your book about mm. the, the not just the children we thought we would have, but the actual family unit we thought we would yeah. be. Yeah. And that's the that's the difficult part. Um but yeah, as we, you know, as we continue on, I'll talk more about the book because mm. I got to let you guys know, I absolutely loved the book. And there were so many women in on my platform who are reading it and telling me how much they loved it. And I'm like, mm. okay, let me see what this book is all about. And this lady <laughs> named Jody Day. So it was, it's, it's an awesome book. Very, very well put together and just uh, very well written. Loved it. So. Thank you. Switching off a little bit, why do you, why did you call the platform Gateway Women? Do you know it's a really interesting thing because um, I you know I love words and in a sort of previous life you know I worked in sort of branding and marketing and so I was always thinking up names for things and people would often ask me to help them with names for new companies and stuff like that mm. but that's not how this happened it was literally a kind of download. I was just like, well, what am I going to call this thing? And it was like, oh, it's the Gateway Project. That was the first thing. It was, oh, okay. So, uh, so I, that was my first thing, Gateway Project. And then I thought, no, 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 it's going to be about women. It's going to be Gateway Women. And it was literally, it came to me. I mean, I didn't think about it. It came to me like that. And then later I started to thought, well, what is this? And also quite a you know, few people particularly those close to me, of course, because they were the only ones who knew anything about this at first told me it was a terrible name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there was a, um, at the time, there was a, a chain of supermarkets in Ireland called Gateway. And there was also quite a big computer company called Gateway. Both of oh, those yeah. seemed to have disappeared <laughs> off the map. And, um, yes. and, I, and I said, and I said, well, no, I, I, I like it. And also, it doesn't have my name in it, which felt really important. And um, not for kind of um, privacy reasons, but I just didn't really want it to be a be about me. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be about us. And then when I thought about it later, because I would be asked, you know, why Gateway Women? I started to think, why did that come to me? 
And I have the image of a gate in my mind of a threshold. And I kind of thought, of course, because, for example, all my life when I've taken photographs, I've often taken photographs of gates and doorways. When I've been traveling in the Far East, I've been inside dark temples and I've taken pictures of kind of lovely temples looking at walls, looking out into the daylight. So big squares of light. I've always been drawn to thresholds and both, you know, figuratively, but also emotionally. You know, in my work as, you know, training to be a psychotherapist, it's about these moments in life Wait, these liminal experiences when we're moving from one state to another, birth, adolescence, becoming a mother, not becoming a mother, menopause, aging, death, you know, the big stuff that nobody wants to talk about when we're basically in transition from one way of being human to the next. This is where the juice is. This is where the art is. This is where, you know, we meet our humanity at, at its rawest and at its most beautiful is during these times. And that's, that's where that's what I love. Um, so, and then I thought about it as well. And the image of a gate—you can either see a gate as something like in a fe- going into a field as something which stands in your way. You know, it's blocking you from entering a pasture, or it is the gate that opens and leads you into the next place. So, it is very much about where you are and where you want to be. So, it's it's about thresholds. So it was really interesting because my unconscious mind worked out everything I've just said in the last couple of minutes without me having any access to it and just went gateway. <laughs> oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I know, I've always wanted to know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now the um, the listeners, especially the ones um, who haven't read the book yet are or maybe not quite as familiar with your platform now get it and it definitely makes sense. It just, as you were explaining it, it made me think of something my dad said many, many, many years ago. He said that we change our bodies, everything about us changes every seven years. And I never, I never took time to research it, but Mm. hmm, maybe. Well, Gateway Women is seven years old. Oh, wow. Seven years old in April. So, and, uh, and I definitely feel that it, you know, it is, it is in the process of transformation itself as well, wow. you know, because okay. I, well, I am and it is. So it's, it's an interesting time. Yeah. Well, happy seven year anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> and um, best wishes for many, many more. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was reading this quote recently mm. and um, it says, when our broken dreams have cost us so dear, mm. dreaming a new dream takes great courage. And yeah. it was attributed to gateway women. And yeah. so I was wondering if that was indeed your quote. It is indeed. <laughs> okay. And yeah. um, how do you grasp the courage to dream a dream, a new dream? If you can tell us how you do that. Well, it may not sort of, it may not be that great to say it, but most people, most human beings don't change until they absolutely have to. Um, I think until the pain of not changing is so great that the pain of changing becomes tolerable because human beings, we, we hate change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our egos are set up to prevent it because, you know, change equals risk. So I think the, the courage to create change comes from, and, you know, courage comes from the Latin word for heart. Mm-hmm. I think it, it gets a point where our hearts cannot bear it any longer. Um, you know, if change were easy, there would not be thousands and thousands and thousands of books about it. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that change is so hard, and what and this is missing, totally missing from most sort of mainstream understanding, is that in order to change, you have to grieve what you're letting go of. You know, you cannot move into the new without letting go of the old. And that involves grief. And we hate grief as well. <laughs> so, it's, Definitely. you know, so change, I think, you know, it comes from the heart. Um, and it, it, and it's, it's rarely, it's rarely genuinely voluntary. Usually it's just like, I just have to do this or I can't bear it any longer. And that's how it was for me. And if you can have the support of others who are, going through that change at the same time, that makes so much, so much difference. You know, that's what the therapeutic profession is about, is, is someone to be, you know, your companion um, whilst you go through the, the terrifying experience of change. 
as you say in the book, um, grief is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Absolutely. So that makes absolute sense. Mm. Um, you know, as I was reading through your intro in Living the Life Unexpected, um, I stopped short at the section where you consider doing <laughs> kind of a switch off from the last question, but consider mm. doing volunteer work in Kabul. Yeah, And then you re reconsidered uh, because you did not think you could deal with the Kabul winter. Mm -hmm. And um, you weren't even considering the fact that Kabul was in the middle of a war nope. and that you could become a casualty. Um, and so I was thinking as I read that, I said, wow, I can, I'm sure other childless yeah. women can as well definitely understand the level of grief where we do not even consider our safety. And I guess that kind of does tie mm. in with the past, the previous question, because if we had somebody that we could uh, dialogue with, mm. then we would consider our safety. So, and, and it was rate, also that you... I felt I had, I, mm. I felt I had no value. I didn't right. value my, I didn't value myself. I didn't value my own life. I felt I had nothing to contribute to the world. So really, what did it matter if I got blown up? You know, I who totally was going to, who was going to, who was going to miss me? Who's going to miss me? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly, <laughs> I've been there. Who's going to miss yeah. me anyway? It's not like I've made a contribution to this world in any way. I mean, yeah. good grief. In my case, I, I couldn't even find somebody who would be willing to marry me, never mind have children. So, and we'll talk about the double mm -hmm. whammy in just a moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was, that's, that was the question. And people, uh, there are people who just don't get it, you know, Again, many years ago, I, well, maybe two or three or four years ago, I had a conversation with my brother, and he was absolutely shocked when I told mm. him that I just felt like filler. And yeah. he said, filler? I said, yeah, you know the stuff that you fill packages with, like the peanuts mm. to keep the package from breaking? He said, why would you say such a thing? I said, well, I mean, that's where... That's what my life amounts to. It's not like I'm getting anything else done. I'm just here to be a filler. Wow. And he told me never to say that again, <laughs> mm -hmm. that I'm more than filler. But I totally understand, you know, that so what if, if I got blown up in a, in, mm. I, I've been there. So um, how do you get and I, people And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really important to talk about that because we don't talk about those aspects of grief. I mean, right. I, you know, I went through a period, you know, which was also during that very lonely period we were talking about, of feeling like a complete waste of space as a human mm -hmm. being. I felt that I was kind of even using up oxygen that that someone else could make better use of. You know, I, I someone I with just, children. Yeah, and I I didn't actively want to commit suicide, mm -hmm. but the idea that I might not wake up again was really attractive. And, you know, sometimes people would say to me, oh, but you have your freedom, you know, like this. And I would think you have no idea. You know, this does not feel like freedom. You know, I remember what freedom felt like when I was 20, you know, and it felt like opportunity and possibility and choices. This feels like a dark lake stretching between me and death of kind of infinite width and infinite depth. And I have no idea how to cross it at all. My life felt like a life sentence of imprisonment, mm -hmm. of something to carry every day. And I had no idea how I was going to find the strength to carry it. You know, it's like freedom, goodness, you know, that the depths of grief and sorrow and, and the courage it takes to kind of keep, keep on going when you feel mm -hmm. like that it is something I will never forget. And, and that is what we're trying to get women who have children or have a mm. family to understand and you know how how do you get people outside of our demographic to understand this level of grief or do you even bother it's a huge task Sevilla, because it involves really asking people to contact that part of themselves or where they where they feel the most loss that's the only way you can really contact it because that's what empathy is empathy is feeling those feelings within ourselves that someone else is feeling. What really helped me was um, one of my dearest friends, one of those friends I was talking about that was there for me, mm -hmm. is the mother of my eldest godson. And he's in his early 20s now. And when I was first writing my blogs for Gateway Women, one day she said to me, you know, I, I'm reading your blogs 
And, you know, I just feel terrible that, you know, you feel this bad. And um, I was trying to imagine how it feels to be you. And she said, the only way I can really get a handle on what you must be feeling is to imagine my son dying. Mm. And it was such a helpful thing to say because I realized that in order for her to contact my grief, she had to imagine the very thing that she spends all her time trying not to think about, which is I understand that, you know, when you are a parent, you are, you know, you're permanently aware when your children are out of your sight, Mm -hmm. you know, that something could happen to them. So you learn as a parent to kind of block that, or you'd never let them out of your sight. Right. And I thought, well, it requires the level of kind of empathic gymnastics that, and and my friend is exceptional. She's exceptionally empathic. And it just made me a lot more understanding of why a lot of parents can't go there. And then you, and then on top of that, you lay the fact that we don't like to think in society about unfixable things. You know, we live in an extraordinary moment in human history in terms of medicine, in terms of so many things, in terms of science, when it's like anything can be fixed. You know, you throw enough money, enough data, enough science, enough time, enough effort, everything can be sorted. And actually, childlessness really reminds us of our, you know, our limits as human beings and that actually not everything can be fixed. Mm. And what that leads us on to on an unconscious level is that actually we're mortal. We're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's like our, our, our situation touches the most profound vulnerabilities of what it means to be human. I mean, we are just so unpopular what we bring up. <laughs> right. That's why people want to look the other way. It's more yeah. com- comfortable to look the other way. Yeah. And ask us why we don't just get over it because they don't want to deal with it. Well, neither do we. And I have to say, if there were a way to get over it, I, I would have done it. You know, exactly. We all would. <laughs> we all yeah. would. But you don't just you don't get over grief. And I guess that's what we have to continue to explain mm. is that grief and childlessness are linked, and yeah. we have to we're we're trying to manage it and deal with it. Mm. You know, stop looking the other way because we're not going away if you look the other way. <laughs> mm. And also so, grief grief is an equal opportunities visitor. You know, oh, we will yeah. all, you know, we will all lose what we love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that's part of what it is to love to be human. Um so I was talking to uh, one of the women that um I've trained to lead the weekend and I was talking to her last night about grief and about loss and I said if the work that we're doing you know, with childlessness, with, in a way, grief education. I said, I'd, I don't think, I think if everyone in our society were able to be comfortable with grief and to learn how to, how to kind of experience grief in themselves in a, and work with it, I said, I, I think it would change. I think it would change the world. <laughs> because I think a lot of our problems as a society is that we, we're running away from difficult feelings into addictions into you know into drugs into distractions because sometimes just to, the experience of being human of being vulnerable is just so uncomfortable that's so true and um you know i just i'm sitting here and i'm listening to you and i'm thinking i th- i think all of us who are running childless not by choice mm. platforms are Oh, we're we're even in a in a group that's even I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but we're having to manage our own grief because as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, grief doesn't completely go away. It's just something we learn to manage, and um, it comes and goes. It comes in waves, and yet we have the strength to turn around and help other women get to a mm-hmm. certain point where they can deal with the grief. And um, even as you were talking, although she's not in our demographic, I was just thinking about Kate Spade Mm -hmm. and uh, just how people don't understand that grieving the childlessness can take us to such a place. Yeah. Um, You know, we don't know what her reasons were. And as I said Mm -hmm. in my post yesterday and my condolences to her, her family and friends, but there, and you mentioned it earlier the the thoughts of suicide, although you don't 
actually think of ways to do it. You're, it's, yeah. it's not something that hasn't crossed your mind because, yeah, you know, you don't feel like you would be missed because you didn't make a contribution because you didn't have a child or a family. Yeah, yeah. and people and yet, think, our, and yet our family, like your brother, would mm-hmm. be so shocked to to mm-hmm. to to think that we think ourselves to be of so little importance right. when there are people around us in some shape or form who would be devastated by right. by our loss they would and i know mm. i know they would but still that's what i'm saying it's such a, mm. a, a thing that we're managing inside of our heads it's yeah. such a battle going on inside mm. of us that I, I just wish more people understood that um Mm. But switching. It's interesting switch- what mm-hmm. what you were saying about you know grief not ending. It's interesting because I I'm not grieving now. Um, right. I'm you know I'm really really through. I feel as at peace with my childlessness. I think as if I'd chosen it, mm-hmm. which is quite extraordinary. I didn't know it'd ever be possible to get to that point, but it can still get spiked. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's never something I anticipate. You know, you don't see it like, coming. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, a friend has a baby and I'm fine, but something completely random that I'm not expecting just kind of touches me. Except these days, instead of it feeling like, you know, a horse kicking my heart, you mm-hmm. know, now it feels more like a cocktail stick to the heart. You know, <laughs> it's sharp. Right. And I and I recover much more quickly. And it's like, oh, oh gosh, there's that grief. Wow, where did that come from? Ah, okay, it's about this. And it's usually it's an aspect of my loss that I hadn't considered before. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, oh, I don't get that either. Ah, oh, right, okay. You know, and, but I am thinking, well, when I, you know, my friends are going to start having grandchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, you know, I'm in, uh, I'll be 54 soon. Um, you know, it's probably going to start happening soon. Um, you know, if I'd had children, my children would be in their, you know, their late 20s by now. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my children, you know, some of my friends have got kids in their late twenties, early thirties. It's going to start happening soon. You know. Yeah, my my oldest nephew just got married last month, and um, I am still in a little bit of shock. I, I honestly yeah. am. I have three nephews. Yeah. The youngest one is twenty two. Mm-hmm. The oldest one is twenty eight. He's he has a birthday mm. next month, so maybe twenty nine. He yeah. he got married, and all I could think about when I see this young man is. Mm. This little four-year-old coming into my bedroom when he came for visits with his toy <laughs> telephone and making yeah. his business calls. That's all I get. I, I can remember. And I'm like, w- when did this happen? <laughs> He's actually a married man now. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's just amazing that, yes, he could, he could have a child within the next year or so. Yeah. And that would make me a great aunt. OMG. Yes. <laughs> Can't yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite. I'm looking. I'm quite looking forward to that. Um, I don't have any um, brothers and sisters, so my nephews and nie- nieces all come through my ex-husband, mm-hmm. um, who came from a big family himself. So uh, I have ten nephews and nieces, not by blood, but they mm-hmm. they don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Right. That's um, you know, I was I was there from day one, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure one of them will will you know get married soon and have children it's um i hope if that's what they want mm-hmm. they have a lot of girls a lot of girls you know goddaughters and nieces who have seen and learnt from me mm-hmm. that it's not uh it's not a when it's an if yeah right. uh, and i and i wish that that was i wish that was more understood uh, i mean my friend and colleague jessica hepburn um who started fertility fest uh, she's in, involved in a huge program in the UK to uh, to get fertility education into schools, oh, wow. uh, which is so important for for young men as well as young women, so that it's not just about how not to get pregnant. It's also about you know more a more understanding of fertility, of uh, the fertility window for both men and women, um, and also you know that uh, you can have a fulfilling life without children. Also, the child free choice. Right. Which is something that you know young people don't know about often. That's awesome. That would mm. be wonderful. A wonderful addition to getting people globally to understand the yeah. whole dynamic. Well, I, didn't, I didn't understand my facility. I, I didn't understand it. I didn't. I didn't even know my eggs aged. Yeah, I, I didn't had no either. idea. <laughs> no. They don't teach you those things. 
No, it was just all about not getting pregnant. I mean, I, I was scared even to sit on a warm chair that a boy had recently been on, you know. <laughs> oh <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's we have a long way to go on the education yeah. level of the children. And I just hope we, we get there soon, you know. But, um, you know, just switching gears a little bit again, mm. um, I have been questioned about how I am childless, not by choice, because mm. I did not meet Mr. Wright. And so yeah. it wasn't necessarily an inter- infertility issue. It was a social mm. issue, no Mr. Yeah. Wright, and a biology, biological issue, fibroids, because I did have fibroids, mm. and those two equal no children. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I read your list of 50 ways to be childless, mm-hmm. not by choice, and my reason was number one. Yeah. So I, I got a little chuckle as it always amazes me how people can see you but not see you. And yeah. I just wonder if you ever get tired of telling your story or explaining childlessness, or does it even does it make a difference who the audience is, whether or not you get oh, tired to- of it? Absolutely, totally, and and quite frankly, not every moment is a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes, you know, uh, I mean, sometimes if I'm, you know, because I'm in a new relationship, you know, it's, um, we've been together nearly a couple of years now. I've moved country. You know, so it's like I've met a lot of new people in the last couple of years. And mm. so the opportunity to for it to come up in a social situation is there again. Because, you know, when I was single and childless for a long period of time, and you'll understand this, Sevilla, I mean, there mm. were years that went by when the only invitations I would get would be to a dental checkup. So, <laughs> you know, so I really, I hadn't, outside, you know, gateway women, I wasn't really talking to a, a lot of people. And, you know, sometimes when, Someone says something, you know, one of the classic bingos, you know, why don't you have kids or have you thought of adoption or you know, whatever it might be. I sometimes will think to myself, okay, I'll say, you know what, what you just said to me, um, I'm able to talk to you about this now and I'm able to explain, you know, why I don't have children. But if you'd asked me that question five years ago, um, probably I would have had to have changed the subject and left and I would have had to sit in my car and cry and go home early. And this is why. And if it's someone I feel that I can, I can help them to understand so that the next time they meet someone like me who is grieving and who can't in that moment, you know, educate them and who feels cornered, you know, I will do it. But there are other times, Sevilla, when I just, mm. I just, I just can't be bothered because, there are people sometimes and you get the feeling that they are just committed to misunderstanding you. Oh, yeah. And I, and I just think, you know what? I don't have the energy for this right now. Um, I'd rather save my energy uh, for a conversation where I, I feel it might be useful. Right. And, and I am a little bit bored of talking about my story because I think that's a sign, a really good sign. Uh, because I think when I was grieving, I wanted to talk about it all the time. Because that's what that's part of the grieving process is that we want to, you know, we want to talk about it over and over again. It's part of the process. So now it's like the fact that I'm a bit bored with it is great. You know, I'm I'm enjoying that boredom. <laughs> yes, and I definitely agree with you. You can sense when people are just want to misunderstand or maybe show yeah. you up or call you out because they know they know the story, but they just feel like I don't know. They want to be petty, and there are petty people yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, I definitely understand that. Um, you say in chapter three that life can be tough, motherhood can be tough. And I've mm. talked about this recently as well. Well, it was Mother's Day for us um, late mm. last month. And I talked about the fact that I believe that motherhood is the toughest job on the planet. Because if if mothers aren't raising their children correctly, we can have mayhem. We're close to mayhem now, and, and mothers are mm-hmm. raising their children. Mm-hmm. You know, I think most mothers are doing the best they can with their children. But um, I, I still also want people to understand that childlessness can be tough, and you say that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say that life can be tough. So how do we get the motherhood camp and the child? I hate to split us into camps because mm-hmm. I want us to be able to get to a point where we understand each other. But how do you get the motherhood camp and the childless camp uh, to understand that life is tough no matter which camp we belong to, that childlessness is not a free ride? And you kind of touched on it earlier. Yeah. It's it's really difficult because it all boils down to pronatalism. 
And pronatalism is the ideology that uh, that underpins our attitudes to motherhood and our attitudes to childlessness. And it's the ideology that says that, you know, becoming a parent is the only way to be a fully adult member of society and that people who are parents are more important than people who are not parents. And particularly, you know, as, you know, as women are, you know, seen as the lesser sex and are devalued by sexism amongst women, becoming, being a mother is you have much more value as a woman than if you're not a mother. So we are taking on a really, really fundamental tenet of our culture and our society and our conditioning to try and talk about this. And we have seen the most massive, you know, explosion in, you know, in my lifetime of kind of what I call motherhood mania. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was born in 64. So my kind of growing up years as as a young person were the 70s. And, uh, and then my sort of teenage years were, you know, the very early 80s. So for me, you know, I grew up in a time when there was nothing fashionable about pregnancy, there was nothing fashionable about motherhood. It was something a little bit of embarrassing that women's bodies do. They did it in private, they wore these enormous pregnancy dresses. (laughs) And, um, you know, it was really nothing, there was nothing cool about pregnancy. And if your favorite sort of movie star or pop star got pregnant, you know, kind of her career was over. It was really like, oh God, you know, she's a mum now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Debbie Harry never got pregnant, you know, but the ones mm-hmm. that did sort of disappeared out of, you know, they became uncool. So we, you know, we we move forward. And then I'm thinking actually about 19, I think it was about 1981, um, Princess Diana, she was then, you know, married Prince Charles, and uh, then she was pregnant and she wore this huge maternity spock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We fast forward a generation to when Beyonce was pregnant. And do you remember that 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 photograph of her as a kind of African goddess that nearly broke nearly broke the internet (laughs) of this huge, beautiful pregnancy belly? You know, I mean it it was kind of quite extraordinary. I thought in one generation it's gone from something private, slightly shameful, sexual. It's like they've had sex. You know, it's like that's private <laughs> to, um, you know, I don't know, 10 million people looking at a photograph of a famous person pregnant. So we are living in an extraordinarily powerful pronatalist moment. And I do believe that that is because I don't think it's a coincidence that that has come after 50 years of the movement for sort the of female liberation, for sort of gender equality. I think it's like a big um, sort of counterbalancing that's happening within the culture because we've never seen so much change in the role of women in 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 one lifetime i mean our lifetime civila it has mm-hmm. never changed this much before i mean i would say that you know when we had the transition from the matrilineal to the patriarchal culture which was about 10,000 years ago didn't happen in a generation but in one generation in our lifetime we've had the introduction of the pill and birth control legalized um, abortion. We've had um, fertility treatments, women's mm-hmm. access to jobs and education, all in one generation. Everything has changed. And I think this glorification of motherhood is kind of a kickback against that. It's like, it's not that it's a, you know, patriarchy isn't a group of men sitting in a room saying women get back into the kitchen and get pregnant mm-hmm. again. It's just, it's almost like there's a rebalancing of the status quo. Um, and I, I think to be childless at this time is obviously the best time ever as a right. Western woman to be childless. But, you know, there's, ne- there's never been a, good, a better time than this. It's still a tough experience, but it's the best it's ever been. Um, and But it's also one of the hardest times, I think, in terms of public, the way motherhood is overvalued publicly is, is so blatant right now. I I agree, uh, especially with the the amount of time it's taken a generation, mm. as you said, to change mm. from when when women hid when they became pregnant yeah. because it was an embarrassing thing to be seen mm. as pregnant, and now with the Beyonce, you know, photograph, um, you know, I just wonder if if things will continue to move that quickly. And and yes, we do live in in the West, mm. in the Western world, so we don't have to deal with we, we deal with pettiness from time to time. Mm. But just before we started our interview, I was online, and I um I have Google set up to mm. get notifications whenever a news story is posted about childlessness globally. Mm. 
and I just pulled a story and um, saved it. Actually, I think I posted it on Facebook too, mm-hmm. of a place in, uh, is it Kenya? Uh, mm-hmm. There's a place in Kenya where women, if they don't have children or they have children, one woman in the story had five girls, but that wasn't enough. Yeah. She wanted yeah. a boy child. And so because she didn't have a boy child, she married a couple. So that's what they do yeah. there. These single women marry couples and the three of them live together. And so the couple's children become hers so that she is not yeah. scorned in that society. So thankfully, we don't have to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> to survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we I, I still feel like there is so much work to do. And I don't know when that change is going to switch for the rest of the world, because I know, like you and many of us on this platform, running uh, childless, not by choice platforms, I think mm. we're thinking globally. Totally. We're thinking that this has to to change globally because women are, are, are at risk around the planet yeah. when this is the thought process and this is the way to get around not having children or not having the right sex of child. It was just unbelievable as I read the story. It's not the first story like that I've read, but to see it just coming out again, it's just like, when does this end? But, um, Mm. you know, just moving on here. um, And and I think you touched on this with your your, um, previous answer. In chapter three, you say, ideology is that which everyone believes to be true but it's Mm -hmm. actually a mixture of accepted prevalent beliefs that serve to support the dominant power group. And you say that up until 500 years ago, everyone thought the world was flat. That was Mm -hmm. an idea, not a truth. And around it was created a powerful ideology of Western Europe being the center of the world. We always think we're the Mm -hmm. center of the world. So perhaps the quote unquote belief that a woman can only have a meaningful life if she is a mother may prove to be an ideological one and not the purely biological one that many of us have come to believe. I was like, wow, this is so deep. And so I wonder, (laughs) (laughs) do you think society can really get past this quote unquote biological process we have utilized since the dawn of time? Is it just a matter of society learning to embrace empathy? I, I think we, we stand on the threshold, um, you know, of an extraordinary new world that we're building, and it could be a utopia or a dystopia. I think mm-hmm. we're really standing at the gates of it right now. I, th- I I think that unless we start to realize that actually human overpopulation is part of the problem mm-hmm. and that overvaluing motherhood is part of that problem, that undervaluing women as individuals and only seeing them as ways to, as you say, to create boy childs and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, this is part of this massive moment. And I I don't know, it depends how much sleep I've had as to how optimistic I feel about <laughs> it, to be honest. Um, but these, you know, pronatalism and the idea that we just have to keep producing more and more children comes from much older tribal times. You know, when we had much higher infant mortality, when your children had to be there to take care of you when you were old, your children were your wealth. Right. And, you know, so, so much of our our kind of our tribal and that led into our social understanding of what it means to be human, you know, is is based around this this overvaluing of, of motherhood as the only way to be a human being. But yet... What's interesting is there have always been childless people. There have always been childless women and men. And we have so much other stuff to contribute to society that we can't do if we're bringing up children. It's like not only is it a shame to overvalue motherhood, but by undervaluing childless women, we also undervalue the many other ways there are to contribute love to this world and to each other and to society. You know, it's, it's, we each have a role to play and, you know, having children is just one way to do it. It's not the best way. It's not the only way. Right. It's, I mean, it's just, I think it's for many women though, it's a power way. That's, that's their power. Is in to a be sexist able to have society, in a pronatalist right. and sexist society, it is the fastest way to get status. You mm-hmm. only have to look at the often for underprivileged 
young women, uh, perhaps, you know, without access to education, without access to maybe career advancement and jobs, fastest way to get status in the community is to have a kid. Right. And so that's when, as I was doing some research for my next episode, they say mm. women aged 15 to 44 who have problems. I, I have such a problem with them calling a 15-year-old a woman who's having trouble getting pregnant. I just mm. It just drives me nuts when I see, um, when I read the research, they always use that window of, of time for yeah, women. Yeah, they do. They do it. They do it in the US. Actually, I I, I don't see that so much in the UK. But, uh, oh, but you know, okay. the US, like the UK has seen, uh, you know, a, a massive program of reduction in teenage pregnancies. I mean, it's, they're, they're so much less than they used to be, which is also, you know, one of the reasons why when people say, why don't you just adopt? There's also it's like, join the dots, people. You know, right. actually, um, you know, teenagers having having babies out of wedlock and giving them up for adoption is not nearly as prevalent as it used to be. So actually, the children that are often available for adoption are children that need very, very specialized and dedicated adoptive parents. And, you know, not everyone is, is up, up for that. No. Uh, and I think if you've been through a long fertility journey, I mean, Lisa Manterfield of Life Without Baby has a brilliant quote on, you know, why you know, why she and her husband didn't adopt. And it was like, you know, we maxed out the heartbreak cards already. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I'm, I'm hoping somebody gets to hear that because you're right. Mm. We're not all set up, whether or not we've maxed out that, um, that heartbreak yeah. card to mm. be able to take care of a child that needs special care. We're just not. And, and, and you know, really I won't take that guilty children. on. Right. Yeah, it's really important for those children that we are. Right. You know, they, they need they them. need us. No, right. they're not just booby prizes for someone who couldn't have a baby. These are human exactly. beings who've had a really tough time and deserve the very best care they can get. Exactly. So yeah, we we will not be taking that guilt, guilt on for not adopting a, a nope. child that has special <laughs> well, needs. Well, not unless they want to. <laughs> not unless they want to take it on. Right. Because actually, well, why didn't you adopt? Right. You know? I mean, good question, you know. So as we wrap things up here, I'm trying to be cognizant mm. of time, but um, there, there was so much. Oh, my gosh. But um, another thing that, that hit me was uh, when you said in, um, and we, I kind of mentioned this mm. before, grief is a dialogue, not a monologue. Totally. And you say, just as one of the most painful romantic experiences is unrequited love, I think that disenfranch disenfranchised grief is a form of unrequited Grief, yeah. a grief that is not allowed to be expressed, not allowed to be in a relationship, but yeah. grief cannot move into its active state of grieving without a relationship because grief mm. is a dialogue, not a monologue. And um, yeah. I think you continue to say, and until we find a place to have that dialogue, either face to face, online, or with a skilled therapist, it stays wedged in our hearts like a splinter. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the way mm. you use words. <laughs> And it festers as it waits, infecting our life and our soul with sadness. Yeah. Oh, I sat there and I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I kind of got so. goosebumps hearing my words, you know, <laughs> hearing my words in your voice because, um, yeah, I, I meet so many women who have been suffering on with, you know, in silently with grief for years and feel inadequate that they have been unable to, quote, unquote, move on. Mm -hmm. And I say to them, you know, if it were possible to do this on your own, in your head, in your room, you would have done it by now. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, grief is a part of love because only love creates grief. And when I realized that, it also made me realize I, I loved my children. I just mm -hmm. didn't meet them. But I oh, would wow. not be grieving if I had not loved them. And it kind wow. of also gave me permission to love them. You know, and because I don't know if you've, you or your listeners have ever been in a situation, maybe as, as young people of, you know, being in a relationship and the relationship doesn't work out and you expect to be really upset and everyone says, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, actually, I'm kind of fine. <laughs> and, you, and you realize that actually, you know, you talked yourself into the idea that you were in love, but actually you weren't. Right. You know, you're because in love actually, with love. yeah, you're kind of fine when it's over and it's like, oh, well, it's not such a big deal. And, and then, you know, that is so different to, you know, but when you break up, you know, because heartbreak is a form of grief, when you break up with someone that you love, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it is it's a devastating experience, and it changes you forever. 
And this oh, is yeah. something else I talk about grief. I said, there is no getting over this. There is no going back to the old you because grief is a form of love and love changes us. Whether a relationship works out or it doesn't, you can never go back to the person you were before you loved that person. You know, you have been changed by love and grief changes us too. It, it burns away whatever's not needed for the kind of onward journey. I mean, I am so, I'm a different version of myself because of mm -hmm. going through this grieving process. I'm a lot fiercer in, in some ways, Sibylla, but I'm mm -hmm. also just so much more tender. You know, yes, it takes away this type of grief, whether it's the grief of love, loss mm -hmm. of love, the loss of the not meeting the children that you love, mm -hmm. because I never even thought of it that way. But of course, if, yeah. if you didn't love them, you wouldn't miss them. So no. of course, you were in love with them. Mm. But um, it does make you less judgmental of the world around you. Oh, goodness. Because everyone <laughs> is carrying such a broken heart somewhere. Right. Everyone. And and that, that opens your eyes more now than, say, for me at least, in my 20s. <laughs> mm. You know, when I thought, all is well, everything's cool, I'm going to live forever, and nothing's going to touch me, no one's going to break my heart, etc., and then yeah, and I'm a nice person. I'm a nice person. I floss my nice teeth. I play, I play my taxes. Everything's going to go fine for me. And it's like, exactly. oh, and then not only do bad things happen to good people, but great things happen to shit people. And then you're mm -hmm. like, how does this work? <laughs> yeah, this is not working out the way life is. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. yeah, and actually, for me, I think really digesting that it's not fair was a hugely important part of my grief. Oh, yeah. And that's also part, as you say, of us opening our eyes, because do you know what? Actually, it's not fair for anyone. It's like life is fundamentally unfair yeah. and everyone is, is, is pained. I mean, one of my quotes, you know, it's from, uh, it's attributed to Plato, you know, the ancient Greek philosopher is mm -hmm. be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Yes. Uh, yes. And that's, that's what this has you know, opened my eyes to. So that's what the, the point I guess I was making, and mm. you've made it, was that um, that's why community is so important so um, important to help us get through. So you've got a great, huge community, and um, all of us on the platform have communities in some way, shape, mm. or form, because mm. we realize and recognize how important community is to have that dialogue with people who understand. And to you know, give because, back, you know, because I was helped, you know, I was helped by others you know, finding right. others to talk to and talk with and, you know, share this through. And I know how, how important it is to be there for others. I mean, I was part of a 12-step group uh, called mm -hmm. Al-Anon, which is for friends and families of alcoholics and addicts after my marriage broke down because my uh, my ex-husband, you know, one of the big implications, the reason our marriage broke down was that he became an alcoholic and addict. Mm -hmm. And uh, so along with my infertility, you can imagine it was a real mess. And, I can't um, imagine. <laughs> and, you know, that was when I really experienced the power of peer-to-peer -peer healing. You know, that I, I, we don't need to be experts. We just need to be there for each other. We need to listen. We need to create a safe space where people can share their stories and, you know, that are confidential. And that had a huge impact on when I started Gateway Women because I thought, I'm still grieving. I'm not, I don't have any wisdom. I don't, but I thought, okay, well, maybe if I can set up something that's safe, that's confidential, where, you know, there's a structure about what we're going to talk about. That was like my very first in-person groups were like that. Let's just see if it's mm -hmm. possible. And the magic happened, which is that, you know, when we opened our hearts to each other and when we listened to each other, when we gave ourselves, gave each other the gift of our full mm -hmm. attention, the healing happened. So that's why um, I'm sure, you know, that's why I'm so happy that you're in the space. I didn't even know about you being in the space when I started four years ago, mm. unfortunately for me. But um just so happy that you're in the space. And I know there are so many women who are also happy and have learned so mm -hmm. much. Because, as I said, the women in my group who are just talking about the book have said how it's helped them immensely mm -hmm. come to terms. So um there is so much more. As we wrap things up here, mm -hmm. I wanted to say that, you know, thank you for schooling me on the term double whammy because I just used it so nonchalantly when I say I didn't get the husband I didn't get the kids so I got I, I got the double whammy and I never yeah. thought of it as being possibly patriarchal and until I yeah. read the book so 
I learned a lesson. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with another term. And because yeah. um, I definitely don't want to be pitied. And I don't think any of us wants pity. We don't. And as I always say, we want empathy, not sympathy. Yeah. And yeah. so just, you know, that's that was a great point that you made in the book. Um, I also really, really, really loved the um, the part where you talked about the women who as women as childless not by choice women how we're mm. not taken um taken seriously and i read about mm. the woman who was forced from her own bedroom to sleep oh, yeah. in a tent in the garden to make room for her young niece in her bedroom i was like are you kidding me i couldn't believe it i, I had to reread it, it to make sure i didn't miss really a word and i hear it every christmas I mean, it happens oh, all the time. It's, it is quite extraordinary. And then, and then when these kind of otherings happen, you know, if the, the, the childless woman sort of protests, she's told she's being oversensitive. And it's like, oh my gosh. there's like no awareness of like how incredibly, you know, insulting and abusive and devaluing is. It's like, you don't even deserve a bed anymore. You know, it's oh just like, what? And depending on where she is in her journey, she mm-hmm. can really believe them. Yes. Or she can have that conversation with them that you suggest way before the event to make sure that they understand <laughs> that, hey, this is how things are going to be. And I I talk about that a lot on my platform, yeah. the kind but firm boundaries that we need yeah. to set up and maintain because that was yeah. ridiculous. I was like, I, am I reading this correctly? Mm-hmm. And so, but I, I think this is where that term tone deaf comes in with yeah. our very own family members because I, I've not had to deal with that but Mm. i think as childless not by choice women we've all had to deal with it on some level where maybe we're not listened to when it comes Mm -hmm. to making suggestions or just being talked to in a certain way at a family gathering or being completely left out being completely left out of important family decisions and then and then when you kind of protest about that well like you know a, a kind of look of bafflement Right, well, like, you know, <laughs> of course, we didn't discuss, you know, selling the family home or giving away all of this or sorting out the will or thinking, you know, it's fine. Everything gets ignored until it comes to kind of, you know, care for the elderly. And suddenly it's like, we're the first in line for the conversation. <laughs> <It's> right. Like- <laughs> and, and not that we don't want to, but I mean, in fact, I am the one caring mm. for my parents. Yeah. And this is very, I, very common. Mm. Yeah. Very common in our demographic to be the ones caring for our parents. And I love my parents. They mm. they uh, celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary mm. yesterday. Yeah. I do whatever I have to do with for them. And um, that includes fighting with doctors and just, mm-hmm. you know, just battling it out and being the bad guy. Mm. Because that's my role. But, you know, everybody else is out there. They are doing what they want to do. And they mm-hmm. don't look and think, well... Wait a minute. You know, this is but day also, in and day is, out for but me. Also what is, but also what is not happening in your life because of the right. time and energy. And, you know, this is a time of your life when, you know, you need to be earning money and making savings, you know, right. for your old age that you're not doing because you're exactly. privileging your time for your parents. It's like there is a cost for us later in life oh, for yeah. not spending this time basically looking out for ourselves. I mean, that's why I'm one of the founding members at AWOC, which um, your listeners might want to have a look at. That's awoc.org, which mm-hmm. is Aging Without Children, which is an organization in the UK that I was a founding member of four years ago. And we are the only organization in the world talking and campaigning about the issue of aging without children. Um, and it's, it's really important. Yeah, I put that link in the show notes mm. because um, I did come across that. And I came across it with Dr. Robin, actually, Yeah, um, because I interviewed him a few months ago. So on, on he's, child a, he's an absolute from, honey, isn't he? <laughs> I love him. From he's just, I love him. He's just uh, he was that interview was absolutely awesome. And I'll yeah. put that link in the show yeah. notes as well. But childlessness from a man's point of view was yeah. it was an awesome interview. So that's how I came across that. So it's definitely mm. going to be in the show notes. Good. But um, I just wanted to, fi- no problem. And I want to ask you before, because mm-hmm. look, I can go on. I mean, the yeah. spinster stereotype, <laughs> the doting aunt stereotype, yeah. the older childless woman being a witch or a Cruella de Vil stereotype, yeah. and I can go on. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to cut it off here and just ask the the listeners to please read the book. It's awesome. It's worth oh. the read. And um, so I just want to ask you if you have any final words before we um, wrap things up here, Jody. 
I do. I want to say thank you so much um, for taking the time to reach out to me and for introducing me to your audience. And I will leave you with one thought about stereotypes, which is I think there's a holiday we can claim. I reckon we should claim Halloween because if they want us to be childless witches, let's rock it. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You hear that, everybody? (laughs) Let's take over Halloween. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love it. Well, thank you so very much for your time today, Jody. It was such a pleasure and such an honor to to be able to speak with you. And I know that the the listeners will get great, great comfort from what you're doing and all the work you're doing. Thank you you so very much. Thank Thank you. you. And thank you for your service to the childless community as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.